Open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Our scripture reading for the day is going to be from that chapter, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that, that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name this morning. Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And as we come to your word, we ask, Father, that you indeed would show us mercy and give us comfort. I pray for each one here, each one listening, that we would be able to think about our pains and our sorrows and our suffering, our loss and our hurt in light of what we look at today. And I pray that you, by your Spirit, would minister comfort beyond description, beyond measure to us in the places and in the ways we need. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pain and loss can be frequent occurrences in our lives whether it's tragedy in the community, whether it's loss in your personal life, whether it's some other pain that stems from something else going on, we often find ourselves in need of an extraordinary amount of comfort. I think about the tragedy of the the house fire this week that, that claimed three lives. And uh, I wonder and I think about those people deeply affected by those losses. And I pray that our time today looking at this passage will give people connected with those situations comfort. 
Other people are dealing with different kinds of loss in relationship or in life. Maybe it's the threat of loss. Maybe it's not actual loss yet. It's, it's fear of, of loss. I think of people who uh, are dealing with cancer, and, and that's always a scare or a concern with that. And, and my prayer today is that there would be comfort for those people. Or maybe your pain and loss comes in the form of some man marrying your daughter and taking her halfway across the continent. That's pain and loss. And comfort is needed in that situation as well. So if we need comfort, and we do, if we need that kind of powerful, deep, profound comfort, and we do, where can we find it? How do we get it? Well, as I was reading through this passage, I'm sure you noted how often the word comfort was mentioned in there. And anytime you're reading the Bible and you see repeated words, you should take note of those repeated words. And in, there aren't many places in Scripture where a word is repeated more frequently than comfort in this passage. But how can it be ours? That's the question. Well, first of all, we see that God gives it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, he could stop there. He could stop there and we could ponder those truths and think about all that's found in those words right there, that our comfort is from God in Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He, he goes on, he continues, and he, he identifies who this God is, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. When you need comfort, when you're looking for comfort, why would you go anywhere else? Why would you look anywhere else beyond or other than the Father of mercies and God of all comfort? In Him will we find it. But he continues, verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction. God comforts His people in their affliction. Now, there's something instructive here that in our own lives, I know my tendency, and, and for most people that I pray with and most people that I talk to about the sufferings and the struggles that they go through, what's the prayer that we pray? Get me out of this. I, I want to figure out how to go around this suffering. And God can do that, and sometimes He does. And sometimes He does it in miraculous ways. Sometimes He does it in, 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 in very special ways or subtle ways. Sometimes He takes us right out of that suffering. But that's not what this passage says. It says He comforts us in all our affliction. When we come to Christ, we're not escaping affliction. In many ways, as we're going to talk about in a, a little bit, in many ways we actually invite affliction when we come to Christ. Far from escaping it, we enter right into it, but that's the blessed glory of this passage and this truth that He comforts us while we are in affliction. He ministers to us in that place. 
He does a work in us that is so much greater and so much more profound and so much more mysterious and so much more powerful than simply removing us from the affliction, which is what we pray for. And so this isn't in my notes, it's a freebie, but, but a point of application for us when we're praying, when we're going through something difficult, is maybe think about, you know, you can pray and ask God to take you out of the affliction, that's, that's not illegitimate, there's nothing wrong with that, but maybe focus more on praying for God's comfort and help as you go through that difficulty. Because that's where this passage says He ministers. He comforts us in all our affliction so that there's purpose there. There's purpose there. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. We get to comfort other people. That God gives comfort to His children, and what are we to do with it? We are, not, we are not the end of the line with that comfort, that I am going through an affliction, I pray for God's comfort, and He gives me that comfort, and I just swell up with it, and I'm all healed, I'm, I'm better, I'm able to walk through this, and, and whatever, and that's the end of the line. That is not what He has envisioned here. Why is it given to us? Why do we receive comfort? It is certainly for us. It is certainly to help us walk through difficulty. It's certainly to, to minister to us right in the midst of that affliction. And it is more than that. One of the tragedies of affliction is, is it causes us to often to, to focus so much on ourselves that we forget that we have brothers and sisters right next to us going through the same thing. He comforts us in the midst of our affliction so that we can take that comfort and give it to our neighbor. So that we can take it and give it to our brother or our sister in Christ. He comforts us and He does that so that we can take that comfort that we received and give it to those around us. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We share in Christ's sufferings and we share in His comforts. What a, what a surprising thing, I think, when we come to Christ when we, when we look at Christ and think about the fact that He suffered for us and we think so that we don't have to. And when it comes to judgment, when it comes to bearing the wrath of God, that's exactly what happens. He bears that wrath so that we don't. He suffered for us on the cross. And so that suffering, yes, is His and not ours because He took it. But sufferings and afflictions in this life, we're right there with Him. We're identified with Him, and He suffered, we suffer. He suffered living in a sinful world that sinned against Him, and so do we. We, uh, worse than that even, we contribute to that, don't we, with our own sin. So we add to the affliction 
But we suffer as Christians in this life. We share abundantly, he says. I don't think I like that word there. I often like the word abundantly. Abundant life, I'm all for that, right? Abundant blessing, abundant gifts, I like that. We share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Does that surprise you? Doesn't surprise you? Good, Clara. We share abundantly in His blessings, and so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. So, as Christians, we, we stand in the place, as it were. We, we, we occupy a similar role of suffering in this life, and we receive comfort abundantly in this life. What an amazing truth. We share in Christ's sufferings. We also share in His comforts. He comforts us, and we're to pass that on to one another. And by the way, one of the reasons you are experiencing suffering, one of the reasons, is so that you can take the comfort you receive in the midst of that suffering and pass it on to someone else in need. God has ministered in your heart so that you will be able to minister in the hearts of others. And there's something, one more thing I want to notice here before we move on from, uh, move on to our next point. He says, look at verse 4 again, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Notice the difference between all and any here. What do I mean? When we go through the comfort or the, the, the discomfort, the affliction, when we go through the problems that we go through, and He ministers to us in that situation, and it looks like this, and these are the circumstances, and this is why I suffered, and this is, this is the kind of loss that I experienced. And He comforts us in that situation. And how can we utilize, in what context can we utilize that comfort to pass on to other people? Only those who've experienced exactly the same thing? in exactly the same context? No. Now look, what, how can we use that comfort? How can we pass it on so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction? So your affliction may be different than mine. The suffering you're facing may be different than mine. That does not mean I don't have the capacity to minister comfort in your context, in your situation. And it doesn't mean that in your situation, you, you're free to say, you know, you've, you've never been in my situation, so, so you really don't know what you're talking about, right? As if, you know, when I go to comfort my wife, she says, well, you've never been a wife and a mom. You've never been a woman. You, you don't, you know, you, you, you can't even speak to this situation. Well, no, I've never been any of those things, and I don't know exactly what it's like to be in her shoes, but I have suffered affliction, and I have been comforted, and I have something that I can take and I can give to her. And so graciously and gently and appropriately, I'm able to minister comfort to someone going through a completely different circumstance than I have ever experienced or even will ever experience. So He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we can take that comfort and we can disperse it in any context for someone who needs comfort in their affliction. Isn't that encouraging? I think, I th I think it's a helpful thing for us within the body of Christ. And and not just for, for those of us who are trying to give the comfort, but on the other side, for those trying to receive the comfort, those going through the affliction. 
You're not just looking around for that one or, or two or three other people who've experienced the same thing that you've gone for, and they're the only ones who can address your situation. Of course, they can uniquely and powerfully and wonderfully address your situation in ways the rest of us can't. But nor should we close ourselves off as if, well, you don't know what I'm going through, so I'm not going to listen to you. When our brother or sister in Christ seeks to minister comfort to us. So God gives the comfort, first of all. And look at the second. We're going to finish this paragraph here. When you patiently endure. He gives the comfort. He gives the comfort. And what are you doing in the meantime? What ought you to be doing? What's your posture in the midst of this? Just receiving? What ought you to be doing? What ought your uh, mindset to be? God gives it when you patiently endure. Look at verse 6. If we are afflicted, says Paul, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Paul's affliction is meant to result in the comfort and the salvation of others. Paul, going through his, uh, his missionary life, experiencing the things he experienced, he was arrested at times, he was beaten at times, he was stoned, uh, he was driven out of town, he was hated, he was uh, lied about, he was, he was mistreated in all manner of ways. And that was part of his ministry. Who else do you know that was mistreated and beaten and threatened and hated and lied about? The Lord Jesus. And Paul's very own ministry is a reflection of the ministry of his Lord. And so the suffering that he suffers is actually a sign that he's on the right track ministering as he ought to. And that matters in this context because 2 Corinthians is, is written largely to combat these guys who came to town who were the super apostles. And they, were, uh, they, they spoke well and they had great hairdos and they looked good and they had all the right recommendations and they were professional. And, and this guy, Paul, he's unimpressive. Have you ever heard the guy talk? Have you ever looked at that guy? He's a, he's, a, he's a funny little man, and they would just rip on him that way. Personally, he's, he's unimpressive, and he suffers all the time. Clearly, he doesn't have the blessing of God if he's facing all this suffering. So clearly, you can disregard this Paul guy and pay attention to us. We're the pros. Right? That's the uh, Second Corinthians is written largely to combat that notion. And actually, what Paul says here is, no, quite the contrary. The affliction that I go through the affliction that I experience is for you. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. It was a confirmation of his ministry, that his ministry was in line with Christ. Paul's suffering is for them, but it, his comfort is for them as well. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Because of the principle I mentioned early, earlier, that, that Paul, when he received the comfort, does what we ought to do when we receive it, freely hand it out. You're not going to run out of it, by the way. Pass it on to your brothers and sisters in Christ around you. Give that comfort. And so he passes that on, hands that out. But look what he says. 
we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience. When do we experience that comfort? When you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. When you patiently endure. Patiently enduring allows time for comfort to come. Now, there's a saying, time heals all wounds. I understand what's meant by that, and in some ways, of course, it's just not true. Some wounds will never heal. But on the other hand, it takes time for wounds to heal. They don't heal instantly. Comfort doesn't come instantly, as if we snap our fingers and there it is. It takes time, and so how ought we to spend that time? What ought to be our attitude? Our attitude ought to be one of faith, continuing on, because it takes time for comfort to come. And so we patiently endure that time, and as we patiently endure that time, our faith is being increased. Not just because we're passing the time, not just because uh, I made it all the way to Monday, you know, and uh, another day, you know, and, and I'm just going to do the next thing. And, and no, while we're doing that, while we're waiting, we are trusting the Lord. We're trusting that the Lord will give comfort. He didn't give it today yet, at least not in all the ways I need. So I will trust Him and wait until tomorrow. And I will trust Him and wait, wait until next week, and I will continue. And as we wait and as we trust, our faith is increased. And look at verse 7. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. What confidence. He said, we know. He didn't say, I really hope. It might be. It's possible that you could be comforted too. Yes, I've experienced comfort. Maybe you could experience comfort too. That's not what he says. He says, I've experienced comfort, and I know that you will too. God will comfort you as well. He has a great confident expectation that they would be comforted like he has been comforted. And here's another freebie. This is why Christians ought to run towards pain and not away from it. Because we have a confidence that God gives comfort. And so let's go take it. And so if you're, if you're near a painful situation, consider how you can move closer and not farther from it. The natural, natural tendency, I know, is to go the other way. I would rather not have any of that affliction rub off on me, thank you. I would rather not have to endure that pain. So if I don't look at it, I don't see it, I won't experience it. But Christian, you and I have a unique gift, comfort of Christ, that we can take into a situation of hurt. Of course, it's all well and good to say that we should endure suffering with patience, because that way lies comfort, but that still leaves us with the great giant question of how can we endure suffering with patience and thus receive the suffering God means for us? You notice I haven't answered that question yet. Yes, you noticed. And you were waiting and you were thinking, he finished the paragraph and he didn't tell us yet. Well, because we're going to skip forward a little bit. Go to chapter 4. A very familiar passage here.
when do we receive? In what way do we receive? How can we receive this comfort? It is when you see the unseen. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. I'm going to pause there. There's a period, so I feel justified in doing so. So much of enduring suffering, so much of being comforted is just not losing heart. And he says, so we do not lose heart. He's drawing a conclusion. He's saying, so we don't lose heart. We, we keep it together. We keep, we keep our eyes fixed where they ought to be. We keep our mindset the way it ought to be. We don't lose heart. We stay encouraged. We stay strong. And I asked my wife if, well, actually, I, I told her and prepared her in advance, and here she's serving in children's church, so she's not even here to witness it, but I told her I would tell a story on uh, childbirth, labor, right? I've witnessed it. Of course, I've never been through it, but I've been there a few times, and, and it's amazing. It's, a, it's an incredible thing, and, and uh, you know, I've never seen my wife be stronger than she is during that time. I've also never seen her be weaker. When she's, when she's approaching it, when she's going through it, she knows at the end of this is a baby. I get to hold that baby. I get to feed that baby. We are going to have a child. And so she faces it and she goes into it and, and it's getting more intense and, and she's getting stronger and it's getting even more intense and she's getting even stronger to the point where I'm amazed that she's able to endure this kind of stuff. Not just the degree of pain, but all, the, all that's going on and she's able to go through it. But there, there, there has come a point in a couple of babies it's the boys. I don't know why it's the boys. Both times it was the boys. The, the girls, it was a different story. Both times. Get to a point with the boys where she's like, I don't know that I can go on. And she knows there are no options. <laughs> We're going on. <laughs> We're making progress. You don't go back on this deal, right? So she, she knows that. She knows it in her mind, but she gets to the point where she's just, it's just too much. It's just, she, she, she's, she's on the verge of losing heart. You know, just take me to the hospital and, and, uh, and take the baby C-section. She didn't say those words, but those thoughts are entering her mind. And for those who don't know, we had our last two children at home, so that travel to the hospital was a, was a real thing. She lost heart, or she was right on the edge. And in that moment, she didn't think she could do it. Now, I, on the outside, I've seen her do it, you know, Gabriel's our fourth, so she'd had three children already, and then, and then Brennan's our sixth, so she'd had five by that point. I knew what she was capable of. She got to the point where she lost sight of the fact that there's a baby at the end of this that I get to hold and nurse, and instead she sees the trauma that she's going through, and that takes her focus off of that end goal, and that makes it so much more difficult. And so... He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You know, some, somebody with a bad attitude once said that, you know, as soon as you're born, you start to die. You know, your body is, you know, losing this capacity and that it's kind of a downgrade, you know, and so you're, you're, you're kind of moving towards the grave physically. Well, okay, not exactly, right? But you see, as I'm getting older, I'll be 50 this year, I see that the body doesn't do what it used to do. And 
we see a downgrade in our bodies. We see our, our, our bodies wasting away, and particularly when you enter into some period of sickness or, or other sort of difficulty uh, where your body is wasting away, it doesn't function like it used to. It doesn't recover like it used to. It doesn't do the things that you've counted on it for all these years to do, and so your body is, is wasting away, and particularly in times of suffering or, or persecution or illness or things like that, your body is wasting away. But what's happening at the same time? What's happening with your inner man? Does your inner man just kind of spin down slowly like a clock that hasn't been rewound? No, your inner man is actually being strengthened. Your inner man is getting stronger, more powerful, more able to deal with these things, more able to trust the Lord in greater and greater adversity. Our inner man is being renewed day by day. And so even though physically as we're suffering and we're facing difficulty and, and, uh, and, and illness and all those sorts of things, our, our outer man is wasting away, but our inner man is being renewed, getting stronger. As God in His great mercy by His Spirit continues to work in our hearts to, to conform us more and more to the image of His Son. That's His promise to every Christian. So our inner man is being renewed, our inner man is being strengthened, though our outer man is decaying. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Notice the parallelism in verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I love the parallelism in this one. Affliction produces glory. That's counterintuitive. But he goes on. He says, this temporary affliction produces eternal glory. Something temporary is producing something eternal. And he calls this affliction not just affliction, not just temporary affliction. He calls it light affliction. Light. Light affliction produces weighty glory. Now, those, the parallelism and all of that literarily is very interesting to me, but particularly interesting. Now, keep your thumb there in chapter 4 and turn back to chapter 1 and verse 8. What's the nature of this affliction that he calls light momentary, like of no account, no big deal, like it's hardly even worth mentioning, this affliction? What, what, what is this affliction? What's the reality of it? Verse 8, we do, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. I mean, you know, it's hardly worth spilling ink over. It's, it's not really a big deal. Right? Why even mention? No, that's not what he says. He says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's what he says in 1.8. Affliction, let me tell you about affliction. We thought we were going to die. It was too much. We were so burdened. We were so weighed down. We couldn't take it. That's what he says in 1.8. It was too much. It was crushing us. Couldn't handle it. No one could handle it. We thought we were going to die of that same affliction. Verse 17 of chapter 4. This light, momentary affliction. What's the difference? Paul loses mind. Paul 
suddenly forget how bad it was? No, there's something else going on here. But that's our question. How could Paul have been so comforted in the midst of such agonizing suffering, such weighty, crushing, soul-crushing, agonizing suffering that he could refer to it as light and momentary? What happened? More to the point, how can you get that kind of comfort for yourself? That you could look at the weightiest, worst affliction imaginable and call it light and momentary. Well, the key to grasping God's comfort for you is found in verse 18. This momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This, folks, is the key to grasping God's comfort for you when you see the unseen. The kind of comfort that would cause Paul in one place to write it was the worst suffering ever, and in the same book, three chapters later, to write it was light, momentary affliction, is this truth. So let's pause and think about our own suffering. Think about our own affliction. Pull that thing up or those bundle of things up in your minds. What is, what is your affliction at the moment? What is it that you are going through? Maybe it's soul-crushing. Maybe it's the kind of thing that you are, you are stuck under it. You feel like you're going to die. What is that? What is that thing? I'm going to tell you the way out. I'm going to tell you where you can find comfort in that worst affliction imaginable. That kind of comfort that would cause Paul to say in one place it was the worst ever and then in another place to say it was no big deal. Light and momentary, producing for us eternal weight of glory. That kind of comfort from God can be yours by taking your eyes off of the seen things and focusing instead on the unseen things. Now, I know that doesn't work. You can't focus on the unseen things, but bear with me, okay? It's Paul's language, not mine, okay? What we're going to do and what we need to do and what the challenge is and what Paul would have us do, what Paul himself had learned how to do was to take his eyes off of something and put his eyes on to something else. We're talking about the eyes of faith, of course. If we're talking about something unseen, you can't really see it, but we're talking about the eyes of faith. Look with the eyes of faith at the unseen realities of God working behind the scenes in your circumstances. Now, behind the scenes means you can't see it. You're trusting that God is at work. God who is good. God who is faithful. God who is all-powerful. God who loves you and has committed himself to do good for you. God is at work behind the scenes. Can you see it? No. Does that mean it's not happening? Of course not. God 
is at work behind the scenes, and you, you focus your eyes of faith on that. God is at work in this affliction. I don't know how. I can't explain it to you. I'm not sure exactly what He's doing. I know where He's taking me. I know He's going to comfort me in it. I know it's for His glory, and I know it's for my good as a Christian. Beyond that, I couldn't give you details. But I trust Him. And so I will fix my eyes of faith on Him and what He is doing. He is working behind the scenes in the hidden places of men's hearts. And that keeps our focus where it ought to be, on the Lord and what the Lord is doing. And takes our focus off of my circumstances, the things that I can look at, the things that I can see. And when our focus is on the Lord, we are encouraged and we are comforted and we find that we can endure. Like my wife in labor, when she remembers, I'm in this for the long haul and there's going to be a baby at the end. I can endure. There are at least two unseen things, two types of unseen things that we should keep our eyes on. First are just spiritual realities, what we know to be true, though we can't see it with our eyeballs. If you are in Christ, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. You don't always feel like it. You can't always look and tell. The guy next to you can't look and tell. But it's true for everyone who is in Christ. You have been forgiven of your sins. By faith, you have become God's own child. As a Christian, God is committed to sanctifying you, though you don't always see it, and though your wife doesn't always see it. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. How often have you felt like you've been separated from the love of God? Particularly in the midst of affliction, you feel that. But it's not true. And so focus your eyes on what you know to be true, though you can't see it with your eyes, though you can't uh, sense it with your senses. These are unseen spiritual realities you need to keep your eyes fixed on. Of course, ultimately what we're talking about is keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord, which is something we know we ought to do. That's, that's not news to us. But we focus on the Lord. We know His character. We know His track record. We know what He loves. We know what He values. Our Sunday school class this morning was great at pointing out what our God is like. We know His power and position above all things. And as we look to Him, we remember and we're comforted. We receive comfort. So that's the first is the spiritual realities. But there's another type of unseen thing we need to keep our eyes fixed on. Future things. Look at verse 14 of chapter 4. Right here in the same passage, just the paragraph before, Paul's talking about how he is encouraged knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's a future reality. We, we don't see the resurrection. We don't see our future union with Christ. We don't see those realities, but Paul would have us focus on them. Paul himself focused on them, kept his eyes fixed that direction, and remained encouraged. Like my wife remembering, there will be a baby at the end of this, though 
I haven't seen that reality happen yet. We know we will be with the Lord when we are absent from the body. We know that one day we will be raised. We will receive a glorified body. We will no longer wrestle with sin. We will no, no longer live in a world that sins against us or where we are tempted to sin or we'll no longer live in a body that's been corrupted by sin, my, my own or others. We will be raised from the dead and we will be with the Lord forever. That is a future reality. And if we keep our eyes fixed on that, that will provide comfort in the now time. And when that day comes, we will recognize that there is no comparison between the suffering now and the glory to come. No comparison. And we'll look at our affliction and we'll say it was light, momentary affliction. Light, momentary. At the time, it seems soul-crushing. It seems like it's going to kill us. We're going to be, we're going to be squashed flat under it. It's too much. When we look at the things that are unseen, we begin to have a different perspective and we begin to realize, no, actually, this is light and momentary affliction. And it's producing for us an eternal, weighty glory that can't even be compared with this trifling little suffering, though it's so huge in the moment. If suffering is preparing glory for us, is the price worth it? Absolutely, undeniably, unqualifiedly, yes, it's worth it. So we ask the question, how can we have God's comfort for ourselves? Well, it should come as no surprise for anyone who's read their Bible for any length of time, though Paul develops it in a powerful way. The key to grabbing hold of God's comfort for yourself should come as no surprise at all, though perhaps the power and effectiveness of it might be surprising. Fix your eyes not on the things that your senses observe, but on the God who you know is real. And you will be comforted. Focus on the spiritual realities of what Christ is doing and has done as well as on those things that He will do in the future, and you will receive comfort that's beyond description. It's beyond compare. And folks, it is yours to give away, and you will lose none of it in the process. So just a, point, a couple points of application, and we'll be done. First, take the comfort you receive and give it to others. They need it like you needed it. And you've got it to give away, so go do that. Secondly, be patient as you are suffering. Remember that it's a privilege to share in Christ's sufferings. To share in anything of Christ's is a privilege, and that includes the sufferings that we go through. So be patient as you're suffering. And thirdly, don't focus on the visible, transient things. But focus on the unseen, eternal truths the Bible tells us are ours in Jesus. Keep your focus on Christ. Where do we find comfort in the midst of pain and loss? How do you help those around us deal with tragedy in the community? 
How can we have comfort in the losses and pains in our personal lives? When we find ourselves in need of profound comfort ourselves, where can we find it? We find it by looking at the unseen things of Jesus and His saving work. And as we do that, our inner man is strengthened, our faith grows, and we take on a new perspective. And we see that this massive, heavy suffering that we are experiencing is actually working in our favor, producing in us strength and an eternal weight of glory that is so much more wonderful than any of the sufferings of this life could ever compare to. We find comfort by looking to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we face a myriad of circumstances that would crush us. Personal things maybe that nobody knows about, huge health things that threaten to end our lives, the loss of loved ones through death, the fear of the loss of loved ones through illness, the fear of the loss of relationship, and on and on and on. Father, I pray that you would take this, your word, and you would help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, our Savior, that in him we would find life and peace and joy and hope and very great comfort. And I pray that as we find that comfort, that we would be able and that we would be willing and that we would be quick to pass it to our brothers and sisters around us for whatever affliction they're going through, that they might be comforted as well. So help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There's going to be a family down front who would love to pray with you this morning, and I will be down front as well if you've got questions, if you've got uh, comments or anything for me. Otherwise, God bless you all, and you are dismissed.